Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Chapter number 15, I feel like I need to do a review because I have not been here, but um, basically what we're doing is we're taking the passage or the chapter that our theme verse has come out of, and we're kind of talking about the context of it. And so 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 58 has been our theme passage for the year, and our themed or theme word has been unmovable. And so can you quote or maybe read along with me if you don't know it, verse number 58 um, out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Let's go ahead and let's begin. I'm going to turn there. I think I know it, but anyways, I like to have it there just in case. So let's ready. Uh, let's say it out loud together. Therefore, brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so when we talk about that, we said the first word, therefore, when we see that word, what do we do? We go see what it's there for. The context of verse number 58 is really the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And so we started last week with what makes you, not last week, five weeks ago, whenever I was here, okay? Um, We talked about what makes you unmovable and how the gospel makes you unmovable. And so today we'll be in verse 11, um, or sorry, verse 12 through down through verse number 20, talking about how the resurrection makes you unmovable. The resurrection makes you unmovable. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says this, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also is vain. Which, by the way, I would encourage you, and I'm doing this as I'm studying through the passage, look at how many times in 1 Corinthians 15 he uses the word vain. He talks about it multiple times, even in our theme verse he uses the word vain. We're going to probably close this series whenever we get there with what does vain Christianity look like? What does vain Christianity look like? And so 1 Corinthians 15, go through it, look at how many times he says uh, the word vain. Let's uh, continue reading in verse number uh, 15. It says, Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. Now let me just stop and give you a little bit of context. How many times does Paul condemn the false witnesses of God? How many times does he condemn false doctrine in all of his, in his books? And here's what he's saying. If I'm preaching that Christ is risen and that Christ has experienced the resurrection, I'm just as bad as the people that I'm condemning. And so he wants to be very clear that if we are preaching something that is not true, we are just as bad as a false false witness. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. I want you to read verse number 19 out loud together with me. Ready, begin. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. 
but how is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? But now, I think is what that says. My circle in the word made it look like how. So anyways, but now is Christ risen from the dead. The resurrection makes you unmovable is what we're going to talk about today. Spend a couple minutes learning about how as a Christian, if we desire to be stable in a world of instability, what are the things in the Christian life that makes us unmovable? And so today we'll look at how the resurrection makes us unmovable. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us. Lord, you know that my mind is in a thousand different places. So God, I ask you to help me to hone in on what you have for us, of what you've given me from your word, and share it biblically, share it passionately, and share it accurately. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to walk out of here saying that we have grown as a result of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Many of the things that we believe do not necessarily impact us to the level or the magnitude of which we believe them. Let me give you kind of an example of that. We often say that we believe or that we would agree on something and we say that it is accurate, but many times we don't always allow it to actually come out and play out in our life. Let me give you maybe a silly example. How many of you think that it's probably not a bad thing or that it would be a good thing for you to take a multivitamin or some sort of uh, vitamin every single day? Probably would benefit you. You'd probably look back on your life and not have any regrets by taking a vitamin, right? Okay, seven of you agreed with that, all right? Let's, let's vote on it. How many of you agree about vitamins? of some sort. I don't care if they're organic. I don't care if you consider your vitamin to be the green leafy lettuce that you grow in your own garden without pesticides or anything. Like We would agree that that would probably help us, right? Yet for many of us, we did not wake up every single day and run to our medicine cabinet and take our multivitamin this week, probably even this lifetime, okay? Um, we agree and we believe certain things, but yet for many of us, we fail to practice them working out. We would probably all agree, and we would even cheer on someone while we ate pizza, like, that guy's good, all right? Like, I, I think that he has his life together. I appreciate his discipline. He is going to be a better human being because of that. I'm just going to watch, okay? We agree on those things. We would agree that eating and that living a certain lifestyle would probably be good for us. We agree that maybe having good relationships would be something and not arguing that would benefit us in the long run. And yet many times we fail to allow our beliefs to actually infiltrate the way that we live our life. The same is true with Christianity. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, hopefully someone explained it to you as you placing your faith in the gospel or the good news of Christ. And might I remind you, the 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verses 3 and 4 gives one of the clearest definitions of the gospel, and it defines it as what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the, as the means for the forgiveness of your sins. And so what do we say when, we say when someone says, well, how do I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven? When you say, well, you've got to place your faith. You've got to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But let me just stop for just a second and say this, and I want you to jot this down. The same gospel that saves you for eternity is the same gospel that can stabilize you in this life. The same gospel that saves you for eternity is the same gospel that can stabilize you in this life. 
And for many of us, what we've done is we've taken the glory of the gospel and we've isolated it to the miracle of a moment of salvation, saying, well, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and so now I'm done with the gospel. No, 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 no. That is not at all what Scripture teaches. That's not at all what this passage teaches. Remember, 1 Corinthians 15 starts off with my brethren. He's writing to Christians and he's re-preaching the gospel to them. He's telling them, this is what you believed. This is what you say that you are going to, that saves you from your sin, that saves you for eternity. But it is also something that influences you and that stabilizes you in this society. Corinth was not a pretty place to be a Christian. Corinth was not an easy place to be a Christian. And yet for these Christians, Paul had to come back to the basics and say, if what you say you believe to save you, it is also what you need to stabilize you. And so when he talks about the resurrection in these verses, he's really honing in on something that we say that we believe, isn't he? Easter Sunday rolls around and all of a sudden all God's children comes out of the woodwork to celebrate Easter Sunday, right? Christmas and Easter, that's what we're really good. Like, oh, Jesus was born, Jesus came to, he came to give joy, and sometimes we're the most discouraged, disgruntled people until Christmas, but then we show up to church to celebrate the joy of Christ, right? Easter, what do we do? All of a sudden, everyone goes out and spends money. They haven't tithed all year, but they'll go buy a new suit, they'll go buy new dresses, they'll get ready because Jesus is risen. But what does that mean for you 365 days out of the year? What does that mean for you for your 70 years of life down here, 80 years of life? What does that mean for your Christianity? And so here's what I want us to look at. I want to look at three ways straight from this passage that the resurrection makes us unmovable. The first one is this. The example of the resurrection makes us unmovable. The example of the resurrection makes us unmovable. Look at verse number 12. He says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, which is exactly what he's preaching. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. So he starts off with this simple illustration or this simple example of that if Christ is not risen, then you have nothing to look forward to. And if Christ is risen, then you also have the opportunity to be risen. He really gives us two sides of the same coin. He gives us two arguments here for our resurrection. He says, if God has the power to raise Christ, then he has the power to raise you. That example should come as a comfort, should come as a stabilizer for you in your Christian life, because here's why. If God is not powerful enough to raise his own son and to fulfill his own promise with one person, he is not powerful enough to fulfill his promise with you and I. That is so important because sometimes we like to say, well, the resurrection, that, that's great. I believe that. I needed to get that to be saved. But the resurrection is not just something that you isolate for your salvation. It is also something that you must come to realize is a part of the stabilizing effect of Christianity. And if you desire to be unmovable, it is going to require you to step back and to say, okay, if God is good enough, if God is powerful enough to do this, then I know that He is also powerful enough to do it with me one of these days when, I, when my body, when my soul enters into rest. 
that resurrection of Christ was not just something so that prophecy could be fulfilled. It was an example for you and I as Christians to show us that the example of Christ's resurrection is an example of how one day God will resurrect our bodies. And if you and I cannot believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we cannot believe in our own resurrection. We cannot believe in the promises of God because here's why. If this thing that we call Christianity is true, it hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without it, we have nothing to talk about. Someone dying on a cross is not miraculous. Someone dying on a cross for your sins and then proving who they were through their resurrection is miraculous. And if Christianity is true, then it hinges upon the resurrection. If not, you and I have gathered here today to worship a dead God. If not, you and I have a faith that, as Paul says in this passage, is vain. And so the example of the resurrection, of Christ's resurrection, should bring us comfort, should stabilize us, because we know that because of what happened in the past, we now have something to look forward to in the future. We now don't have to mourn the way that others mourn. We now can look forward to the hope of heaven. We now can look forward to a, a glorified body. We now can look forward to those things because it's what we saw experienced in Christ's resurrection, and it is also what we will experience in our resurrection. But then secondly, not only there is, is there the example of the uh, or the example of the resurrection makes us unmovable, but I want you to see this that the help or the helps we'll talk about all that they are in this passage, but the help of the resurrection makes us unmovable. In this passage, he really goes through a couple of different things that if the resurrection of Christ is not true, then this is what we miss out on. Look at verse number 15. He says, Yea, and we are found false witnesses because we have testified of God that he, has raised, that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. So he says this, first of all, the help of the resurrection is that if we are wrong about that, then we really have nothing to testify about. We are liars that are doing it in the name of God. We are being a false witness of God. He says in verse number 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. How many of you don't want to experience an empty faith? And yet for so many of us, sometimes we will condemn other religions or we'll put them on a mission slideshow. We should, you, any good mission slideshow has a, a video, not a slideshow, I'm sorry, that's super old school, missions video, all right? It's, what is it? There's a video of monks walking up to a temple or of people uh, worshiping false idols or worshiping false gods, and, it, and it's intended to break us as Christians. But did you know that if the resurrection is not true, then we're just like them? And here's what I want you to listen to. We started off with this idea and we introduced it with the fact that many times what we say we believe does not infiltrate our lives. You want to know one of the things that I think that we could take note of in those mission videos? Is that those people believe so strongly in their false God 
that you look at the extremes that they're able to go to and that they will go to to worship that God. And yet for each and every one of us, we say that we have the perfect faith, that it's not empty, that it's whole, that we worship a living God, and yet for many of us, we worship and believe as though our faith is vain. And now more than ever, the world does not need to see Christians living a vain or empty faith. They need to see Christians living a live and breathing and real faith. Now's not the time for fake facade Christianity. Now's the time to rise to the occasion and say, hey, this thing that I've believed all my life, it's real. And I'm going to start to live it out. So your testimony is true. Your faith is not in vain. But then he also says, then they which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He says, if the resurrection is true, then death is just the death of a Christian is just the same as the death of a non-Christian. We have no hope. We have no comfort. We have nothing to rely on. We have nothing to look forward to. We have nothing to be excited about if this is not true. And then verse number 19, we'll close with this thought. Not only is there the example of the resurrection and the helps or help of the resurrection should make you unmovable, but the last thought is this, that the hope of the resurrection makes you unmovable. I want you to listen to this passage and this verse if you listen to nothing else. I feel completely off my game today. I don't feel like I'm plugged in. I, um, I decided to try to stop drinking coffee on the week that I have a newborn child. I don't know what in God's name made me think that was a good idea, but I have like been crashing like crazy. And so anyways, I want you to listen to this because if you hear nothing else I say, I want you to listen to what God says. Listen to verse number 19. He says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now we quote that verse, and you've probably heard someone say it kind of in passing. But I want you to hear the words and actually take heed to what they mean. How many of you believe that the gospel has the power to change your life? Okay, Hopefully if you didn't vote on the vitamin thing, you can at least vote on that one, all right? The gospel has the power to change your life. The gospel can take someone who is a drug addict strung out and can change their not only their eternity, but can give them hope for this life. I firmly believe that, and I will teach and I will preach that until the day I die. But if the gospel only has the power to change life down here, is it really that great? What's the greatest fear that humanity experiences in this world? Death. I think that you can probably take one look at society and determine that death is a pretty big fear right now, huh? We will wear masks on our feet if we think that it will save us from death, right? If COVID-19 has taught us anything, it is this. It is that we will stop at nothing to save the life that we have down here. Why? Because we're not convinced that we have life after this. And the resurrection solves that in Christians, or at least it should solve it in Christians. Why do we protect our life down here? Because we have made this heaven on earth. We don't need an afterlife 
because we've made our afterlife here on this earth. And what does Matthew chapter number 6 say? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. What's he saying? He says, don't build heaven down here because it's going to fade away. And the reason why we're scared of death, the reason why we will protect this life with all of our gusto, the reason why we are scared of COVID-19 or scared of uh, the atomic bomb or scared of whatever you're scared of or scared of a car accident, the reason reason why we're scared of that is because we've got this little nest egg of life, this little nest egg of heaven, which essentially, if you want to dive down into it, is the blessings of God already on our life. But we don't want to lose that because we're afraid that the afterlife is not what we think it is. And so what do we do? We invest all of our life and all of our energy and all of our time and all of our vigor into this life that according to Scripture, fades away. When if the resurrection is true, here's what it does. It frees you to stop living for this life and start living for the next. And that's not something that should shake you. That's something that should stabilize you. When we talk about being unmovable, here's the crux of the message from this passage you are going to be tossed about in this life every which way if you're just trying to protect this and live for this. Why? You're going to get stressed out when the finances go, get too low. You're going to get depressed when maybe something doesn't go the way that you thought it should go. You're going to set these high expectations. You're going to struggle in relationships. You're going to struggle with uh, doubt. You're going to struggle with sin. You're going to struggle with all of those things. Why? Because you're trying to protect this. When God says, if the resurrection is true, here's what it does. It frees you to be able to forget everything there is to remember about this life and focus purely on what is to come in the next life. And here's the sad, scary state that we are at right now as Christians. Is that we will give up anything to protect our life down here. And yet when God calls us to give something up to build a life after this, to invest in eternity, well, I don't know. That's just that's a big ask, God. I just, I don't know. I don't know that I can commit to that. I, I, that that's a pretty high level of commitment. And all God's trying to get us to see is that if you say that you believe what you do, if the resurrection is true, then why would you want to live for something down here instead of living for what is next to come? I wish I could kind of, I know that being at a little bit of a different stage in your life um, is not always easy to express in this class, but I wish that I could take you into the hospital when you welcome a, a, a newborn. Right now, no one was allowed to be in the hospital, so, um, which my Enneagram 1 type loved until about 12 hours after we had the baby, and I had watched about 18 hours of golf. And I was like, the whole no visitors thing is really boring. Um, I'm just staring at this six-inch TV that they give the dads on the side of the wall. And so, but I wish I could take you in there and the, the amount of perspective that comes with that. Um, I remember, and I'll close with this illustration, I remember 
when we had Braxton that um, my wife, when she is able to start eating solid foods, her first really craving is Panda Express. And so when um, we had Braxton, they gave her her, um, they gave her, like, she was allowed to start eating solid foods, I think like the next day, or it was really late that night. And so we had had Braxton that morning and really late that night, they were like, hey, you're allowed to start eating solid foods. And so um, it was like 8.30, so they closed in like 30 minutes. And so I, I hopped in the car and ran to Panda, and uh, I could tell the guy behind the counter was just irritated. Like, he was irritated that I was there. He was irritated that he was there. He was irritated that he was just irritated about it all. And so, like, like he was, like, flinging rice onto the thing. And so... Um, he was just getting like real exasperated with like everything. So it's like one of the, it's like one of those moments where like you know you're paying for it, but you feel bad to ask for anything. Like, am I allowed to have a drink, or are you gonna throw it at me? And so I remember like everything that I asked him was like a big deal. Well, my wife like she likes a little side of teriyaki sauce, and so I was like, hey man, and I'm like trying to be super friendly. Like I'm not being a jerk. Like I could have just said like get over yourself and give me the teriyaki. Ugh, I was running out of breath. But so I, I said, hey, man, I said, could I get like just a little cup or a little side of teriyaki? And he literally went, <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, the teriyaki is what puts you over the edge. And I apologize about that. So he went and got it. I mean, he was, a, he was like a younger guy. And so he brought it up there and he, he checked everything out and told me my total. And I said, and I, and I just like, I don't know what. Like, I'm not a super talkative person, but there's times to where I say something and I think to myself, like, what? like, who are you? Like, why are you talking about this? And so I said, you having a bad day today, man? And he goes, yes. And he just started, like, opening up about it. And I'm like, dude, you're, it's almost closing time. Like, you're going to go over, you're going to be overtime on the clock if you keep talking. So he just started chewing it like everybody out. He was the only one there. He was, he was like, no one had made the rice fast enough. And so customers were getting mad at him. He just went into everything. I said, well, and I had my little armband on that had Braxton's name. And I held it up and I said, I just had a kid. And I said, let me just tell you, the Lord is good. He's in control. And there's nothing like a little bit of a wake-up call to give you some perspective and let you know that some of the stuff that you're worrying about and that you're stressing about probably doesn't matter. And I said, if, I said, the biggest thing that I want you to know is that God loves you and that He wants to have a relationship with you. And I gave Him a track, and it was, it was almost humorous because I felt like everything that I said went in one ear and went out the other. Because I made, I like, I mean, it was like the best presentation of like the God, like opening gospel presentation I had ever had. And I said, I just had a kid and I said, I'm just, I said, I'm just going to let you know that a lot of stuff that I'm worrying about doesn't matter. The thing that I'm worrying about right now is that my wife and that my son are healthy and taken care of and God's done that and he's been good to me. And even if he had not done that, he's still good. And he literally went, your total's 21 something. I'm like, good talk. Let me just explain this to you that the perspective of the unsaved person is to get a little bit stressed out about the things that occur in this world. And let me just say this, as human beings, that's our perspective. As Christians, you're going to have days where you worry about something that if the light bulb were to come on in the middle of it, you would say, this does not matter. And if you can step back as a Christian and say, I serve a Savior who raised from the dead, 
Why am I worried about whatever? You fill in the blank. Why am I worried about what I see on the news? Why am I worried about maybe my financial state? Why am I worried about what so-and-so thinks of me? Why am I worried about this? God will take care of it all because He took care of raising His Son back from the dead. It doesn't get much bigger than that. And so when you are faced with those moments this week, stop, press pause on your life for just a second, and say, if God raised someone, if God raised his son from the dead and he's promised my resurrection one day, then my faith is not vain. I'm not living out an empty faith. I can have hope that there's something after this life and stop worrying about everything that is bothering me or stressing me out in this life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.